You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. As we have gone back to Eretz Yisrael, and we are trying to fulfill as much as possible the mitzvot of Shemitah, of Meiser, of Truma, uh, the Rambam's Mishnah Torah has once again become primary. Primary because there isn't a Shulchan Aruch. And therefore, um, the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, and especially as we're going to enter into the Shviyas year, is the first place we need to look. Um, now, what I'm saying now is not novel. People have known it for the last, you know, 200 years already, as the Yish of Yisrael was developing, that the laws of the Rambam and Seder Zroyim, and, and the Sefer, because they call Sefer Zroyim, where he deals with these Hilchos Tulius Baritz, have now become so crucial to understand. I, I would say um, two incredible men, uh, set their sights on teasing out and elucidating the Rambam anew. But let me, let me explain it better. It's one thing when the Rambam is, um, you know, a, a, a tertiary or a secondary or something that you also want to um, uh, inter, intertwine with other things. But when your Rambam is, the, is your main basis and this is what's happening in terms of Hilchos Shemitah, Hilchos Zroyim, and so much of life in Israel, then you need to have a, an extra emphasis in the Rambam's uh, formulation. Now, does that mean we buy everything the Rambam writes, Klein and Sinker? No, but it's our starting point. And although the Ramban has two great works that I think um, can match the the sort of hekif of the Rambam, although it doesn't really come close in terms of the language. The Ramban wrote a sefer on Hilchos Bechoros, which is an important part of halacha, Hilchos Bechoros and Chala. The Ramban uh, put it together like the reef. I can show you some of that at a different time. And also the Sefer Torah Sa'odam, which I've talked to you about in the past, which is about the laws of, of, of starting when a person would become ill till the point of death, Avelus, and so on. Those are the two works the Ramban wrote, which are sort of codes uh, in the sense of where you can, oh, I need to open up that book to find what the law is. Um, uh, you know, in, in terms of the Ramban's strength and greatness is his Talmudic brilliance, his ability to get to the heart and to strip away and to understand exactly what the Talmud is dealing with. And, and in those ways, I think you've seen in the 40-something classes that we've had that the Ramban stands in many ways sometimes superior to the Rambam. But in terms of uh, creating, obviously, uh, uh, and formulating uh, a work, uh, uh, you know, he, he pales in comparison to the Rambam, and he, and he knows that. Now, in the last 100 years, in 50 years, the last 100 years, I'm going to say, 
a little bit over 100 years, about 120 years. Two men, um, Avram Yitzchak HaKohen Kuk, Zecher Tzadik HaKadosh Vurocho, and Lahavdu Ben Achayim Ben Achayim, Rav Chaim Kanievsky, have devoted themselves to using the Rambam as their basis to develop the halochos from Sefer Zroyim in a way that it can be practically applied and used, Lamaisa. Um, and so if somebody wants to, for example, today learn Hilchos Tulius Ba'oretz, um, well, Rav Kook did write on, on Shemitah, and that's his Sefer Shabbos Ha'oretz. He did not do it on the other storm of the Rambam, Trumas and Maestros, and 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 Sharmat uh, and other things that are in uh, Sefer uh, Sefer Zroyim, but Rav Chaim Kanievsky did. And I want to um, show you. If you take a look here on the page here, we're going to look at one halacha, and we're going to view it from Rav Chaim and from Rav Kook. And it's very relevant to our Bnei Chutzlaritz. Here's a halacha from the Rambam, Perakei Ashmita Biovo Perak Yud Gimel. If you have peroshvios, you cannot take them out. Lost it there for a second. You cannot take them out from Eretz Yisrael, as you see in a minute. You can't take Perishvias out of Eretz Yisrael. Which means, nothing should be exported from Eretz Yisrael to Chutzloretz during any Peros from the Shemitah year should not be taken to Chutzloretz. Now, the Ein Machilanosan. We talked last week about the Kedusha of those Peros. You, even in Eretz Yisrael, you can't feed them to a non-Jew. This also means a non-Jew. Shabbat, meaning Shabbat, Shabbat means he's, he's your uh, indentured servant for seven years. He's your He's working you only for one year. Oskir Chodesh, or his contract is a month. O Shekotzas Mizonos of Olov. Now, this is a non Jew that's working for you. And the way he's worked for you was the deal was that you would provide him with meals. Okay, so the way it works is maybe he's just doing a job for you. And since he's, he doesn't know how long it's going to take, he expects the employer to provide meals with him for him. In all those cases, even though that person is a non-Jew, the Rambam now explains why. He's part of your family. So if he's a non-Jew, that's, he's your hired servant and he's there for those seven years a month, but even if he's someone who's for this job is meant to go get his meals from you, you can feed Peroshvius to a non-Jew. There's no Avera for a non-Jew to eat Peroshvius. You just can't 
a non-Jew off the street, you can't give it to. It has to be part of your family in a way. Now, you might be familiar with that word, achsanoi. And you probably know an achsanya is a place where people go to, like a, like a person who's staying by someone, right? That's not what it means here. <laughs> an achsanoi is someone who's a forced visitor, and he's actually a, a soldier that is being housed in your home because the king has decided, his military has decided that they need to place troops in this city, in this area. And because he sort of runs the show, he can therefore use his military power to demand that people take in uh, these troops and feed them. Once that is the case, once again, (laughs) you didn't expect them to be your family, but because of the law of the king, you can now feed them peiroshvius. Okay. Um, let's do one more halacha. How about someone who was from the family but is no longer part of the family? Ein bezdin poskin leisha peiroshvius. Now, this could be in two cases. Either she is a widow who is owed Mizonos by the children, or she's actually, and therefore she's no longer, I guess, part of the family, or she is a woman who is, has a deadbeat husband who's not providing three square meals for her. And because that's part of, of course, what the Ksuva, and even before the Ksuva, a person has a responsibility, share Ksusva no. We learn out from that Pusik that a person, once he marries a woman, is chayev in providing for her. This guy is not providing for her. And he has to go to Besden. She has to go to Besden to get her money, to get her food. Besden hears the case and decides that she is right. But <laughs> they stipulate that whatever the man feeds her, it should not be Peiroshvius. Now, he's married to her, but what's happened is is that a, a debt has accumulated. In other words, if she was living at home, then of course, and there was no marital discord between them, she'd be getting the meals and there, there would be Shvius in the field and she could make a challah and, 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 and have bread and everything from Peiroshvius, there wouldn't be a problem, even though it's technically all the, the husband's money and the husband's food. But now that it's become a, a debt that is owed to her, because he's been a deadbeat and he hasn't let her have food, and she now has been tabulating how many days she hasn't been able to get money food from him, and now she comes to Besden with a certain claim so now when Besden Poskins in her favor, they don't, they stipulate that she cannot use Peiroshvius. Why? Because that is like he's now paying his debt from Peiroshvius. What's wrong with that? 
Um, we'll see why. But that looks like it's a that looks like th- this is like a commodity. So I don't know. I have a question my own personally. Okay, what what's so what is she supposed to have? Anything that's except trius material. She can have material from before trius. She can have the types of stuff from Chutzlaretz. In other words, maybe he can go and find her stuff that's grown outside of Israel to give her. But he can't give her, he can't pay the psak with Peroshvius. He can give her money and have her go out and find it. But Peroshvius is not part of it. He cannot pay the Bezdin's psak with Peroshvius. Avol, Nizonas he Michel Baala. But of course, she is able to, um, she's able to, uh, during while she's a, a, a regular wife, of course he can give her peroshvius. But if it comes to a court case, that is where this ruling applies. Now, those are two alochas I, I, I studied with you in the Rambam. Before we get to the Rav Chaim and Rav Kook, I want to show you this. This is the way the Rambam looks in my edition, basically. And here's Perika, you can see on the board. Yeah, no commentary. It could basically be read. If I would give you this as a homework assignment, you'd be able to read all the halachos in Perika. There's, uh, there's 20 of them. You could probably do it in, 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 in even in a half hour or an hour. I would say I would give my students read the halachos. Probably you know try to try to get it done within a half within an hour. And of course, this is the way the Ramban and others study the Ramban. When I show you once again this, you can see that it's twenty pages. And the reason why it's 20 pages is because of the incredible work of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Now, I, this is not going to come over across so well on a recording, but my friends, you're looking at this. What does this page remind you of? And you can speak up. What does this page, this, 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 this page look like to you? If this was not here, if this uh, title was not here, Hilcho Shmita what would you say this page was if you gave it a, 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 a cursory glance? What would you say this page is? You probably would say, I, I would hope, that this is a page of Mishnah Brewer, right? Yeah. That's what you would say. Is that Mishnah Brewer? Because I see Bayur Halacha, right? Right. What this is, is... Rav Chaim's idea. Rav Chaim felt, even when he was a young man learning in the Kail Chazanish, that it was important that, as I said, people be able to open up the Rambam and use it. Now, you could debate for a while whether the Mishnah Bura's work is the best way that the Shulchan Aruch can become accessible. Chaim Kanyevsky, just like his uncle the Chazanish, had no doubt that the Mishnah Brewer had struck gold. And what works in the Shulchan Aruch, Chaim said, I'm going to do the same thing with the Rambam. Because the Rambam is the Shulchan Aruch for Eretz Yisrael today, for Halachos HaTuyos Boretz. 
So therefore, what I'm going to do without discounting the other Rambams, I'm going to basically issue a, a, a Sefer, and he calls it Derech Emuna. And it's, 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 it's four big volumes on, Hil, on all the halachos of the Rambam Seder Zroyim. Seder Zroyim, by the way, just to let you know, is Klayim, Matnas Aniyim, Trumos, Maisros, Maiser Sheni, Bikurim, Bashar Matnas Kahuna, and Hilcho Shemitah Biyovel. That is, and Rav Chaim Kanievsky does that on every single halacha of the Rambam. I'm going to go out here and I... Um, I'm, I'm going to say something here and that needs to be said. We all know about the, the Maroon tragedy. and Jack, I think you were, in, were you in Israel when that happened? if you're still here, Jack, but um, it, it, it led to a lot of soul searching. And um, there was a lot of recrimination and I guess antagonistic language and, and obviously pain and, and, and heartbreak, but there was in, in, in many quarters a a a, an angry um, response to what to the Haredi world for allowing it to happen and then reacting incorrectly afterwards. And Rechaim Kanievsky was um, lambasted, lambasted for for not responding and saying what really needed to be said. Um, I, I I believe he actually said what needed to be said if you if you listen to what it was that he was saying. Um, he is a man at this point. Uh, he was born in 1928, so at this point uh, he is 90 uh, around 93. However, the people who spoke about him and felt that he had said the wrong thing and or things that he had said at the COVID-19 outbreak and other things. I'm not going to try to justify everything that he said, but I will tell you that a man who wrote, and this is just one page, he did this on every page of uh, every page of Sefer Israel, and this is just one of his numerous works. But to me, this is an incredible achievement. This is something that uh, it took him, I don't know how many years it took, less time than it took the Mishnah Baruch to write his Sefer on Arachayim. And as you can see, it is, it is jam-packed with not only incredible explanations, but also biurim. What I'm trying to say is, I, I, I am, I, I, I would be scared to utter the slightest critique of anything this man wrote, and to mention him by name like others have. 
and to condemn him. Again, you have to be so careful. This is, you are starting up with, with something that, again, I, 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 am, I don't impress easily. <laughs> you know, you are starting up with a giant in terms of what he was able to write here. Long, you know, in, 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 in the, for, for years from now, this safer is going to be the 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 standard by which we study this these works and Mir Tashem as we enter Mashiach's time, Rav Chaim Kanievsky has brought us has, has has allowed the Rambam to to live with us and to understand them and to put them in perspective. So therefore, I, I think it's important to to note what Rav Chaim has done here. And to realize that, that that we are talking in some ways, uh, and we've all heard about his incredible memory, his incredible asmoda. I'd like to share with you a little bit of this halacha with through Rav Chaim Kanievsky, and then we're going to see what Rav Kook Zatzal says as well. Um, That's tzadi some say, although the Ramam doesn't give this exception, some say, just like the Mishnah Bura would say, there are some opinions that say that you can only take it, the whole issue of taking it out to Chutzlar, it's just because you're trying to make a business of it. So, So if this is true, then we know that if you sell a small amount of something, that's not Osir in Peroshvius. A person happens to have some leftovers, or if he has a small amount that he doesn't look like he's making a business out of it, you don't have to take a loss on that completely. You could sell, if you're living in Eretz you can sell those payers to your neighbor. So it would seem that maybe, so we know if it's you're selling a small amount, so we know in Israel you'd be allowed to do that. So maybe I'm just bringing a tennis rogam out. Whatever rogam we'll talk about in a minute. I'm bringing you know a couple of carrots out. Whatever I'm only selling a small amount. So in other words, that any time you're so basically according to the Yesh Omrim, and you can see here who that is. That is. Um, it doesn't mention who they are right here. Oh, here it is. The Chazon Ish in Shvius. Let me mention about the Chazon Ish in a minute. The Chazon Ish says that even, and this is pretty incredible, because the Chazon Ish is willing to make this statement against the simple, the simple words of the Rambam. The Rambam says you can't take them outside into Chutzlaretz. And the Chazon Ish said, the Rambam didn't say it, but you are allowed to take stuff out if you're not trying to sell it. So in other words, you could go to Israel and visit Israel and bring Peroshvius back because you're not trying to sell it. Again, I don't know if the customs will let you. Maybe they let you a little bit. But if you've gotten some, some, some Israeli grapes or Israeli, some sort of Israeli olives and you want to bring them home, even though they are Shvius, uh, they are Shvius material, you could bring them back out of Israel, even despite of this Rambam, according to the Chazonish. 
ויש אומרים, דבכל גבני אוסר. Some say, like the Rambam, that no matter what, you should never take anything out of Israel. וכן הסכם הרש. Okay. Who is the Rash? Well, the Rash, you know, although the Rambam is our starting place, the Rambam is, is, is not the only person who, who, is, who explained the halachos, uh, or at least was involved in the halachos of Zeroyim. We know that, and again, I, I'm not trying to bore you with, with, with history here, but it's important to note that there, one of the Balitosvos that was a contemporary of the Rambam, in fact, he basically his life is pretty much parallel to the life of the Rambam. He died, I think, also in 1205. Was um, Rav Shimshon, which is a, not the most usual name, of Sens, S-A-N-S, uh, um, or, which is a city in France. He's known as the Rash Mishans. I'm sure you've heard that name before, the Rash Mishans. He was a nephew of the, um, no, he was a Talmud Muvak, I'm sorry, not a nephew, of the Riazokin of Rabbi Yitzhak Dampoport, who was a nephew of Rabbi Nutam. The Rash Mishans uh, wrote a commentary on all of Sefer Zeroyim except Brochus, which has uh, enough commentary on it. And he wrote a commentary on Taharos. So the two storm where there were no, there was no Gemara, the Rash wrote a commentary on the Mishnayos. He also wrote a commentary on Torah's Kohani, um, and which is extremely important because it deals with all the halachos of Kodshim. Besides that, the Rash was one of the architects of the of the Tosfos, putting it in the package that we have it today. Um, many of his students uh, were the ones who, who sort of like streamlined the job further. But as Rav Ephraim Arabach has pointed out in his book, Balea Tosfos, if you, there's different Mesechtos are all authored by a different editor. Most of the editing of the Shas was um, the... Uh, 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 most of the editing of the Tosfos was the mind of the Rash Mishans. So he is one of the most important Rishonim that we have. The Rash used his commentary on the Mishnayos to provide halachos for people. Just like the Rambam, before he wrote the Mishnah Torah, the Rambam wrote a commentary on the Mishnah. And if you read the Rambam's commentary on the Mishnah, he inserts what he thinks the halachas should be. The Rosh knew as well that Zroyim doesn't have a Gemara. So the Rosh sort of acted in his commentary as a, as a person who explained, but also whenever there was an issue that, that was halachic, a halachic point, he went out of his way to develop that point in the style of the Tosfos. So Often, we actually have, these are the two giants, the Rambam and the Rash. Rav Chaim, of course, starts with the Rambam. And however, as you see here, he mentions the Rash, which was Rav Shimshon Misens. So let's see what he says. 
he says that the Rosh says, no matter what, you cannot take things out of Eretz Yisrael. That's an Isser de Rabbonin. Now, what does Rechaim Kanievsky think then? I guess Rechaim Kanievsky thinks even though you could speculate like the Chazonish, once the Rosh and the Rambam, and the Rambam is not 100% clear, but therefore do not take anything out of Eretz Yisrael. But why? That's the next piece. Once again, learning this is like learning the Mishnah, right? He's, he's fealty to every, right, the next footnote, the fe- next note. We would call this a Sif Kotam. It says, the Pasuk says, of course, this is a Pasuk in, um, in, in Parshas Bahar. So let's look at the Pasuk that says that it says, For your animals, even the wild animals that are in your land, that Tavua will be to be eaten. Now that's talking about the animals eating it in your land. So to say means it's like taking half of the Pusik. It's like you're, you're, you're jettisoning this part and you're only looking at this word, right? And you can see as they put this uh, in, in Machon Mamre, they put actual, they put a little stop here, right? right? Like a comma, but the drash is in your land. That's where you have to eat stuff. You cannot eat stuff outside of the land of Israel. You cannot bring produce outside of the land of Israel. So Rav Chaim uh, says properly, as he says, uh, and you take a look here in the in Kufay and Hay, where he says, this is from Taras Kohanim Bahar. This is from the drash of the Taras Kohanim. It, it's got to be an asmachta. It does it, there's no way Chazal could have seen from this Pasik that it's also to take Paris out of Eretz Yisrael. The Eino El Then he says here, Kemashakosav Maran, Yud Gimel, If I would ask you who Maran is, who would you say Maran is normally? If I would say Maran, um, you would probably say the Beit Yosef. You've heard Sfardim say Maran, Maran Beit Yosef, our master, our teacher. And that is the way he's known. He's known as Maran by the Sfardim. Um, they call uh, Rav Moshe Israelis, the Ramah, they call him Maram. They call him the uh, Morena Rav Moshe. But Maran means our teacher. That's the Beit Yosef. Uh, a reason why he's called Maran also is because it's the acronym of Meir Rabbonim uh, Nismachu, that a thousand Rabbonim gave him smicha. That's a remez. Rav Chaim Kanievsky is referring to his uncle, the Chazonish. <laughs> he calls the Chazonish Maran. So once again, I think this is something that needs to be noted. Yes, Rav Chaim is, 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 is not a maverick. In Rav Chaim's world, he is just continuing in a way, although in an incredibly encyclopedic fashion that his uncle did not do, the work his uncle started. 
His uncle, in many ways, was the toiler in parts of Shas that had been had been ignored and misunderstood. There's a reason why many people felt that when the Chazonish died, the, the greatest mind of Torah of the 20th century had passed away. Now, Rav Salvechik was famous. You know, he he gave a big clap at, at the YU, and he said, "The Godel Ador Leipnach, the Godel Ador is still alive." But most, because his uncle, he felt, was the Godel Ador. <laughs> Again, who are we to decide? But for most of the world, the Chazonish reigned supreme as the Godel. Um, similar to the way many of us felt. Uh, um, you know, 30 years later when Ramosha Feinstein died. It was, it was the God of Adar. In, in, in the mid-50s, when the, in 55, I believe it was, when the Chazanish died, he was the God of Adar. Now, why was he the God of Adar? He was the God of Adar not just because he had a vision of how the, the Haredi world or the Yeshiva world can, could subsist after the war. It's because he was the most prominent thinker in areas of learning that had been pretty much ignored and misunderstood. And he came to those areas with a, a clarity that was unmatched and with ideas and, 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 and novel points that you needed to, you know, you, that, that it wasn't like he floored you with, with, with flights of philosophical brilliance. It's that he understood the pshat in so many things in ways that had not been thought of or articulated well before him. So therefore, Rav Chaim, although of course he had discussed to live under his uncle for some for almost 30 years and be Meshamashim and obviously be one of his favorites, he feels that the Chazonish is Maran and we need to treat him like Maran. I'll tell you something similar. Uh, in my own uh, life, uh, I was a Reb, I, my, uh, I was a Talmud by Rav Heinemann, Rav Meisha Heinemann, who uh, is and is to me one of the most important postgim in America today. And I remember when uh, he, we had to study for the uh, Chinot, and his, he, he, all he did was speak out Achronim and, 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 and Raid. He expected us to be able to make a laning on our own. There was very little learning inside and, and understanding uh, how the words came together. So I remember he gave us a, a, a study sheet and he kept on writing on the study sheet, Hagro, 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 Gimel Reish Aleph. And, um, and I came to him, I said, Rebbe, I don't remember you speaking out the Vilna Gon at all. He said, that's not the Vilna Gon. That's my Rebbe, Rav Aaron Kotler, Hagayin Rav Aaron. So in his mind, Rav Aaron Kotler was the Gro. <laughs> in as far as Rav Chaim Kanyevsky, and he believes that should be all of our opinions, the Chazonish is sort of like the Maran. Like the Rambam is sort of like the Rambam. <laughs> but the Chazonish is the Chazonish. And therefore, what he writes, although it wasn't written in the same encyclopedic way that he's doing it, Rav Chaim feels that every single Chazanish that, 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 that spoke about the topic needs to be included. And that, of course, is, 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 is his approach. 
Um, and it's important to recognize that. So the, 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 okay, so let's move on. That is the Maran. And the Maran explains, as he says, that this is only a Dirabonim. And he says, if you look at the Raivad and the Rash and Teres Kohanim, you'll see it's also, there's no way it could be a Daraisa. So this idea of taking stuff out of Eretz Yisrael is only a Dirabonim. Okay. Now, how about if, if I understand that, for example, we talked last time about the Isra Schorah. You might remember, according to the Ramban, the reason why you have, you have to eat Peroshvius is because you shouldn't look at it as a commodity that you're going to use as something to sell. Well, how about if you bring it outside of Chutzloret, you bring it to Chutzloret, but you eat it. You have a party with it, and even though the Zman Abir hasn't passed. The Zman Abir is the time, as we explained last week, is a time when the Peros have to be consumed. Okay, what did you do wrong? You brought them outside of Eretz Yisrael, and now you're eating them right away. What's wrong with that? So he says it's still Osir, because Chazal don't want you to do it. Why is it Osir? Um, it's Osir. Hazal felt it's, 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 in a way, the beginning of making business out of it. So therefore, Hazal had to clamp down and say, it should never be taken out of Eretz Yisrael or not. Now, the um, Rav Chaim Kanievsky points out here in the Tzion Alacha, he says that if you look at the Raiva, the Raiva says in Teres Kehanim that once you bring it outside of Eretz Yisrael, you can't eat it outside of Eretz Yisrael. So the, the Raivad says, this is another commentary, this is the same Raivad that always argues with the Rambam, says that if you have the Peros of, if you have the Peros of, of, of Eretz Yisrael, you did the wrong thing. You took them outside of Eretz Yisrael. What do you do with them there? So, the Raivad holds, you should not eat them. You should take them back to Israel. That's the Raivad's opinion. If you take it, Almanas to eat, it's still Osir. But you took it out. You did the wrong thing. What should you do? So the Raivad holds, you can't eat it here. And if you're able to, you have to take it back into Israel. Um, he also quotes the, the Rash Cirillo. The Rosh Cirillo is one of the early Achronim who wrote a commentary on the Yerushalmi Shvius. And he says to, he mentions the base Ridvaz, that was Rabdovid Ibn Zimra. The, I'm sorry, Rabdovid of Olavaski, not Rabdovid Ibn Zimra. That was the, the, the famous Rav who had been the chief rabbi of America when he was once, or he thought he would be, when he became the rabbi in Chicago. And then uh, the Chicago, um, basically, he was driven out of America by the way he was, he was dealt with in Chicago. That's the Ridvaz. And um, he went to Eretz Yisrael to become the Rav in Sfas. Um, and he, there in Eretz Yisrael, he, he's the author of a commentary on the Yerushalmi, uh, and he also wrote a sefer called Beis Ridvaz, 
which is a commentary uh, that deals with Alochos Atulius Boritz. So he's one of the, uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, he started this work of figuring out all the mitzvos Atulius Boritz. Uh, Rabbi Yaakov David Vilmoski, the, uh, the Ridvaz. Okay. So there is that opinion, or Chaim Kanevsky knows about it, but he does not believe we need to at all hold by it. So if you take stuff out of Israel from the Shemitah and you bring it to wherever you are in America, what should you do with it? So he says, Ein Sarach Lach Ziran. Rav Chaim says, not, you don't have to hold, again, just like the Mishnah Baruch would be Machriya, he's going against the Raivad. Um, and the Raivad says, you know, that you could, that you don't, you, can, you can't eat them, you have to bring it back. He says, no, you can eat it in Chutzlaretz. But you can't, once someone tells you it's Osir, you can't take it down the road, you have to eat it right where, you, where, where it is. You're not again. We'll see why, <laughs> but if you do have Paris, you have to you have to you have to uh, you have to consume them right there. Therefore, what about Sukkot is coming up? You can't send people esrogim. Now we're not here talking about making a business out of esrogim. <laughs> That's another thing about making a business out of out of Shrius. What about the fact that somebody has an esrog and he sends esrog and people do that all the time. People will send esrog to their families. Here is an esrog from Eretz Yisrael. So can you send an esrog to Chutzlaretz? You're not supposed to take it out of Eretz Yisrael. It's an Isra Darabonon. So he says, you shouldn't do it. You should not send this Shroig. I mean, he quotes his uncle, the Chazanish, who was against it. But if you do send it, but um, the guy can use it, right? right? Even though there was a sheet that you can't eat Perishvias, but if somebody sends you an Esrog, which it was, it was wrong for him to send it, you can use that esrog to makayim the mitzvah. V'yotzin behem. All right. What about the following case? L'shloach esrog bilti murkov l'kiyam ha-mitzvah. V'mokam sheish l'stapeg sh'yavatal ha-mitzvah beheder ha-mishaluach. Okay. So it's a little bit confusing rabbinic language here, but let's see what the question was again. You're worried about, we know that one of the things that the Esrogim and Chutzlaretz, and all over the world really, were, 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 were infamously known that they were not real good Esrogim, right? What does it mean not really good Esrogim? That they only were able to be produced by grafting uh, branches from various lemon trees in order to be able to produce the esrog. Or the esrog itself was grafted onto a lemon tree. In other words, a branch from a citron tree was, the citron trees are, are very difficult to um, sustain. They need a tremendous amount of water, a tremendous amount of, 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 of watching. Um, they, it's very, very difficult for them to survive. 
The lemon tree, on the other hand, is a very strong tree, very, and, and many times what they would do was they would cut a branch from the, um, the citron and then graft it onto a lemon tree. Now, when that occurs, the sap and the energy of the lemon tree is able to sort of like help support, uh, and, 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 and therefore the citrons will grow. Those are called esrogim murkovim. Those are called esrogim that are, are, are that are they've been based on a uh, a hybrid. Those esrogim are puzzle. That's not an esrog. The problem is, is that those had become the majority of esrogim. So let's say you happen to know that you have an esrog from Israel that you know is a true esrog. Otherwise, I'm going to have to buy one of these lemon hybrids. So what do you do in that case? He says, Hadas It would seem that you can allow and actually ask someone to send you that estrogue. Even though he seems like he's... T- now remember, I would say, well, first of all, you don't want to eat it. But according to the Rambam, even if it's not about eating, you're not, it's an Isra Durabonin of sending it. But here, the other option is, I won't fulfill my mitzvah properly. So here, Rav Chaim says, I believe it should be all right to ask someone to send you an estrog. The low likach But don't take it from someone who's a businessman, who's, gonna, who's, who's, who's doing it out of, as a business. To have a private individual who's not doing it as a say, as, a, as part of a, as doing it in a way that seems like he's doing business, that would be all right. Well, Rabbi Kipolevich? Yes. What happened to Mitzvah Habavera? Okay. Well, here, Bob, the, um, the <laughs> you were saying it's a Mitzvah. There, the way I got this, Esther, was by somebody doing an Easter of sending the, 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 the payros out. Yes. That is true. Um, the only thing is, is that I think, as I explained before, there is the opinion of the Rash, as we saw, that it's only, right, not the Rash, the Chazonish, who says that if you're not planning on eating, if you're not planning on eating it, right, it's not meant to be, I'm sorry, that it's not meant to be a sale item, that it might be mutter anyway. To, to, to move it out of Israel, right? Um, uh, that is, the Chazanish says, if it's not, if, if, if it's being sent to you, if you are bringing it out, let's say the guy who sends it from Israel is not trying to use it as a money-making item, then it might be mutter. Now, it's true, the Rosh says, and that's what seems from the Rambam, it should be Osir, but it's not 100% clear. And remember, Bob, it's only Nisr the Rabbonin, so it's a little bit of a suffix in Nisr the Rabbonin. And the other, and if I, if I assume the Chumrah, that there is an Nisr the Rabbonin in doing it, then my friend is not going to be able to Mekayim a Mitzvah in So in order for the Kim of the Mitzvah of the Torah to happen, it could be, that the, this Isser, the, the, the Suffolk Isser would not apply. Because to keep this Suffolk Isser would mean denying people the chance to fulfill the mitzvah minatayra. 
So if it would be a definite Isser, you're right, Bob. This is an example of like the rabbi saying you don't blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> okay, so you don't have a shofar. That's it. You have to fulfill the mitzvah, the Rabbanon. But here, the problem is, is that there's no Esrogim. And he wants to make the mitzvah. The only way you can get answered is from Israel. But if you get from Israel, you're taking, you're sending Perishvias. So the chazan, it was a difficult question. Rav Chaim feels you can allow it. Now, if you see in the foot, in, in, in the Tzion Alocha, he mentions, where is this from? He says, this is a micht of Mimaran. This is a letter from my uncle, which is Ksavyad. It hasn't been published. I saw it. I, I saw the manuscript of my uncle's letter where he allows it. Then he says, which is a book about his father, mostly. Uh, the Stipler. The Stipler, of course, was the Chazanisha's brother-in-law. He says, So a way to, to also put the icing on the cake is to eat it. So in other words, so first of all, you know, if it was sold to be eaten, it was sent to be eaten, it would be okay. Because remember, we have the opinion uh, of, of, of we have the opinion that you're allowed to, eat. if you take it out, you can eat it. That's what you should do. So that is that is what the, the Rav Chaim says should be done by these Israelim. Um Now, I just want to do one last thing here to show you that um, we they aren't supposed to be taken out of Eretz Yisrael even to Surya. Okay. Now, Surya is what we would call northern Israel or Lebanon or maybe Syria. Why can't, what is the issue about taking, why is Surya any different? So, um, the reason is, as as Rechaim says, is because even though the Jews were there, and it became part of greater Israel. But David HaMelech did not have complete permission from the Sanhedrin and everyone. And because of that, even though the Jews were living there and it was, there were Jewish towns, it, did never, it never became proper Israel. Avol, when Makoma Shekovshu Ole Mitzrayim, I want to explain something here. The boundaries of Israel today are not the boundaries that Israel had when Ezra came into the land. They're more expansive. So if Surya is still not Israel, and if you send to north certain parts of the north, you would be over in Isser, the Rabbanon of sending Peros, then can you send, how about throughout the land of Israel? Is, are, are, is a lot, is, 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 is what they call the West Bank, is, is all of that Eretz Yisrael? What is Eretz Yisrael? So, Rav Chaim says that what they had when they came into Mitzrayim, from Mitzrayim has a din of Eretz Yisrael, even though 
it wasn't part of Eretz Yisrael in the time of Ezra. So we need to realize, and, and this is very relevant to today, because if you say that Eretz Yisrael is, is, is frozen, that this halacha only meant you cannot take Peros out of what was Israel at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah in the time of Bayesheni, then there's huge swaths of the land of Israel today that would not have a din of Eretz Yisrael. So, Rav Chaim, now, and we see you can't take it to Surya, but Rav Chaim says Surya was different because Surya never became part of Eretz Yisrael proper because the way David dealt with it. But there's parts of Israel that are, were Israel in the time of Yoshua, whether that's Yericho or Mitzpah Yericho or all those places that weren't part of Eretz Yisrael in the time of Bayesheni, but they will still have a din of Eretz Yisrael as far as this goes. And where does he get... Does yes. Is, is there a flip side to this? So that if... Um, Anything that's grown in, I don't know, the Golan Heights. Um, so that, so then Shvi wouldn't apply to that. Is that right? Exactly. In other words, the, what, where is, what is Israel as far as Shvi goes? Right. So this is very important, right? Because we have a modern land. How does that land line up to, to what was Eretz Yisrael? So this is an extremely crucial point. So if we take a look here, Rav Chaim says in, in, in Kuf Pei Beis, he says, he brings the Chazonish. The Chazonish is the one who was machadish this, that as long as where we are, let's say the Golan Heights, is part of what Yeshua had, then that would be the land of Israel even though it definitely wasn't in the time of Bayesheni, the land of Israel. Um, this Bayer Halacha goes into great depth in this discussion of what are the places. And he quotes the Yerushalmis, he quotes the Mepharshim and the Yerushalmi, um, And you can see here that he goes through in depth every single possible uh, commentator that was relevant. He deals with, discusses, um, and lining them up to his uncle's opinion, and um, with with incredible shlita on every possible source in the Yerushalmi and from the Rishonim. Um, and, and this is an extremely important. Uh, distinction, and he talks about this. He says, um, you know, would there be an Isser today? Um, does the Takana still remain? He says, and um, my, my point is, is that he is able, using the Rambam as his jumping off point, uh, to be able to allow a person to now understand where we can be Mako and where we can't. We know it's only the Rabbanan, so that helps us out a lot. But still, what? where are you being over the Yisr? And where is it, as you say, Jack, where is it not even Shviyas at all? Where don't we even have to be worried about selling the land because it's not really the land of Eretz Yisrael as far as Shemitah goes? 
this would be a homer though because it might mean jack any place that we assume yoshua and the armies were there all of that would have a din of shvius right um and you're right you have a heter that you could take it there but you'd also have an iser in terms of you have to use the law of shmita there um okay the um Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.